Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you here tonight. For those of you that are with us here on campus, we want you to know how great it is to have you here. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we want you to know that we appreciate you tuning in wherever you are. I'm going to make just a few announcements this evening and leave you with a quick thought before Pastor comes. Um, first of all, all of our Connect Group leaders, we ask that you would please be aware of the Grace Church calendar whenever you are scheduling your meetings. Also, on Sunday, September 11th, that's this coming Sunday, we'll have a baby dedication in our 11 o'clock service, and it sounds like we have quite a few to dedicate. That's an awesome thing. And then on Friday, September 16th at 7.30, you guys have been hearing about this. We'll have a night of worship, and our guest leader that evening, guest worship leader that evening, be Brother Brian Pound. It's going to be a great night, great music, and uh, also it's going to be just an awesome time of worship, and, and we will see a move of God. And as always, you can stay tuned with what's going on here at Grace Church. If you don't have the app yet, you're probably not going to get it, but there is one. And uh, there's also a website for you to check out, so um, I just want to keep you uh, keep you aware of those things. This past Sunday uh, in the young adult class, we started a new series and talking about relationships. And I saw something uh, in preparing for that lesson that I'd never seen before. Um, whenever it comes to relationships, we often encounter people battling for control. You don't have to raise your hand or nod your head, but I know that you've experienced this in at least one of your relationships if you've lived very long where there's a battle for control. And fear is often the source of that battle for control. And there's a great illustration of that principle in Scripture in Mark chapter 8. Whenever Jesus told the disciples that he would eventually go to Jerusalem and die, it says that Peter rebuked him. He said, Jesus, we're not going to let that happen. And Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter was speaking out of fear. Peter wasn't an evil person, no more than the rest of us are evil. He was not on purpose trying to derail the will of God. He was speaking out of fear. He was trying to control something that made him afraid. Jesus was telling him that I'm going to die and this relationship is going to change. And the idea of Jesus not being there anymore in a way that Peter could understand at that time frightened him and he tried to control it. And Jesus called it out. What Jesus was telling him is something that we have heard elsewhere in Scripture that fear doesn't come from God. Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1 says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. You won't find this in Scripture, but I just have to wonder, Peter being human like the rest of us, if he ever looked back on that moment and reflected and wondered, why did Jesus say that to me? I mean, if Jesus calls you Satan, don't you think that would make you just take a step back and, and think a little bit? I mean... Peter probably thought, I know I can be a handful sometimes, Jesus, but Satan, really? I wonder if maybe Peter realized that Jesus wasn't attacking him personally and trying to make him feel bad about himself, because that's not what Jesus came to do. 
But instead, Jesus was calling out the source of Peter's fearful spirit that was seeking to control something that was not his to control. I just wonder that. It's not Bible. You won't find that realization in Scripture. But I've had some reflective moments like that where I realized later what God was doing. I wonder if Peter ever had that. Whenever we're afraid, we try to control things that aren't ours to control. Y'all think about it. God bless you. Be seated. Well, great to see you folks, as always, on Wednesday night. And uh, so glad to see you here, and uh, along with Brother Jason, welcome. Glad you're here, and uh, we welcome the folks watching via live stream and so on. So glad to have them. We have a very steady group of people that follow Grace Church, and uh, we even have had some that have watched it so much, they will... Uh, watch it and notice it hadn't seen somebody in a while this happened several years ago actually and so where's brother and sister so-and-so hadn't seen them in several weeks and uh, we sister Murph and I got a huge chuckle out of that they started sitting somewhere else and they weren't in view of the camera anymore and uh, so they noticed so we are love and appreciate our folks that watch live stream uh, we've had a it's it's actually uh, someone just called it to my attention a little while ago in a meeting that uh, several people have asked about a prayer room we've always opened the sanctuary for people to come early um, or if you want to just pray a few minutes before Sunday morning service Wednesday night service and um, we realize that you know, people come in and fellowship and there's talking and you can't take that away either. But it's distracting when you want to come in and pray for a few minutes. So um, we have a room downstairs that is available. It's classroom two. It's directly behind the media booth across the hall. And uh, we're going to have that set up for this coming Sunday uh, to have a nice prayer room uh, atmosphere. And uh, so you'll be able to uh, come early and just walk in there for a few minutes and pray and, and then come on into the sanctuary. So remember that. We will announce it Sunday as well. We'll be promoting it for a while until word spreads to everybody and everybody gets the message. Um, so remember that uh, announcement. Pray for our young people. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, as always, having a youth service tonight next door. And I certainly miss them when they're not in here. And uh, they're just such an inspiration, so exciting. And, uh, but we're supportive of what they're doing tonight as well. Um, have a full schedule for this coming Sunday for our service. Uh, the baby dedication, as Brother Jason mentioned. And uh, we're excited about that. And uh, expect to have guests. We're planning to have a wonderful service here this coming Sunday and uh, so pray between now and Sunday if you would that the Lord would have his way and uh, our connect groups are still rolling we still are hearing just wonderful things about our connect groups I thank our connect group leaders and uh, all of you that are attending 
and uh, looking forward to uh, when the semester wraps up. We, we want to glean a lot of information and uh, just see, get a kind of a full report about how things are going and uh, how well the folks are doing. So very excited about our Connect groups. Y'all keep on keeping on. <clears throat> I remember the last time that Brother Jason got up and opened the service on Wednesday night, and I love how he shares inspiration with you uh, before Bible study. And when he does, he always does an amazing job, always does an amazing job. But the last time he opened the service on Wednesday night, and then including tonight, he has gotten all over my Bible study material in one way or another. And I promise we're not talking back and forth about it, um, even though we could, I suppose. But uh, it's just a, a huge affirmation, and I deeply appreciate what he has to say. And uh, very thankful for that. Let's dive into our Bible study tonight. Let's, uh, we'll, I'll need to rewind the tape. Last Wednesday night, we had Brother and Sister Favors here and uh, missionaries to Luxembourg. And uh, before that, uh, uh, the Wednesday night prior to that, we dismissed service because of all of our platform remodels. So the Wednesday night before that, uh, I have been teaching to try to put a lot of legwork and, and build some foundation, especially for what we're doing in our connect groups. And uh, we've, we've talked about relationships and uh, relationships with with ourselves and God, and then relationships with others and what have you. And uh, so tonight's not going to be any different. Tonight I want to talk to you about the need for friends. The need for friends. Sister Murphy and I were talking about a family member uh, today and uh, how that uh, they do not attend church anywhere and how their lives are virtually void of any friends whatsoever. Uh, every time we meet, um, it's, it's talking about a lot of things, a lot of subject matter, but not one time. I thought about it today, and I stretched my memory as hard as I could. Over the past number of years, I have never heard this, the, these people ever refer to a friend of mine. Uh, they never refer to friends, and trust me, they talk about everything on the planet. Uh, there's no friends in their life. Our scripture setting tonight to prove that point, to illustrate that point, is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And we usually limit this to a spouse. But the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, he made a helpmeet for him and Eve, but I don't believe that's a total limit of that statement. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, uh, if you'll follow out the scripture, God went on to tell Adam and Eve to populate the earth, to replenish the earth. He told Noah and his family to replenish the population on the earth. Why? Because it is not good that man be alone. I'm sure all of us tonight could go home and, and Google that statement and find more information and material than you could read in, in weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I don't want to go particularly in that direction tonight, but uh, I want to emphasize the point, and this is the beauty of our connect groups right, uh, right now, is uh, people are establishing friendships. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of our ladies was at one of our connect group uh, meetings, 
had a little bit of a disaster when it was over. And uh, another one of the ladies came and took care of it. And this person said, and they're here today, that I believe I have found a new friend. Uh, that was so, the timing was so amazing. Had we not canceled search service for the remodel up here at the front, uh, that was my lead-in illustration. I believe I found a new friend. I also want to have you understand tonight, going into this presentation, is when I talk about the need for friends, I am not, everybody say not, I am not talking about social media friends. Uh, I, I remember, I don't know how it is now, um, but I remember somebody saying one time with their Facebook friends that my goal is to have 500 friends on Facebook. And it became a competition with kids in school at one point. I don't know about right now, but in, at, at one point it became a competition. It was peer pressure to see who could have the most friends on Facebook. And we've all learned by now that that's not really friends. I'll ask a question tonight. How much do you fellowship with your friends on a weekly basis? We've been talking about our relationship with others and ourselves. And I believe all relationships begin with love and respect for ourselves. The Bible teaches that. We've taught that. So with that being said tonight, I want to talk to all of us about our need for friendship. As we read in Genesis chapter 2, from the very beginning, we were created for the purpose of relationships. God did not create us to be alone. I've never met anybody that professed to be just on top of the world, cloud nine, all of that, everything clicking in their life because they lived it entirely alone, never in touch with anyone else. There are a lot of people that can do a lot of things alone. But when most people try to do something alone, there's something inside of them that says that this doesn't feel right. It's not always fun to go out to eat alone. You can't even tell somebody how good the food is or how sorry the food is. It's not fun to play golf alone, Brother Donnie, because there's no one there to say, well, that was a nice shot. When the game's over and you're trying to persuade them of that the next day, how great of a shot that was, they don't appreciate it nearly as much as though they had been there to witness it. So it is not even fun to go to an event or a conference alone. And why would you ever go on vacation alone? We were created to be social beings. And we've learned that now post-COVID when everybody was in quarantine and whatnot. We've all seen the effects of it. God created us with this unbelievable ability to affect one another. It's an unbelievable ability to affect one another, either good or bad. But one way or the other, we are affecting people's lives all the time. We depend upon one another for survival and sustenance and well-being. We need to have friends. We need the interaction of friendship. God said it is, not, it is a good thing to have friends and it is not good to be alone. Even science teachers that we can, under, we, that we can understand our world only in the terms of of relatedness or relationships. Science teaches that. You can all remember going to the science lab where you studied how different types of atoms reacted to one another 
This was all about relationships. In science, a lone atom is meaningless, but a related atom is the building block of nature. In the same sense, a lone human does not affect anybody or anything and cannot be affected by others, but a related human or a person who has many relationships is the building block of humanity. So I would like to say it this way tonight. The person who has a lot of friends and a lot of relationships is a building block of God's church. There's a lot of influence. There's a lot of impact. There's a lot of effect that that person can have positively in the lives of people. Have you ever thought when, when pastors, preachers, when they fail at the impact it has on the lives of people? They impact a lot of people when that happens. So we affect God and God affects us. We affect others and others affect us. That is all there is. And it's a very true statement. So you can't affect others by being alone and vice versa. Our need for friendship is as deep as our need for food. We can only survive so long without food. And ultimately we can only survive so long without friends. One writer said it this way, either friendship or death. Strong statement. But there's nothing more tragic than a person dying alone. I remember when my brother-in-law passed away. He died suddenly of a heart attack a number of years ago. And, of course, we went to the funeral. At the wake that night, I've never forgotten this. Um, I have a hard time just sitting down for a long time. I have to get up and move around after a while. And I did that that night in the funeral home, just walking around. And, of course, you pass these other, we used to call them parlors. I don't know what they call them now, Shanna, but where you put the casket and the people come in for the wake. It's not where they're having the service. It's just for the wake. Anyway, I'd walk past them and just kind of peek in the door and keep going down the hall. And I noticed in particular there was one of these very small rooms. It was a very tiny room. And... Um, there was a lady, an elderly woman in there, and no one was there. And I passed by a little while later, and no one was there. And I passed by a little while later, and no one was there. And it was hurting my heart that this lady was prepared for burial. I mean, she was in her casket, and no one there. And I, I couldn't help myself. I found somebody at the funeral home, and I said, I don't mean to, to be nosy, my goodness, but is there anybody uh, coming for this lady's wake? And uh, the person told me that someone discovered her that in her house. She had been dead in her house for a long time. And uh, they were able to prepare her well enough to have an open casket. But said, we've done everything we can do. We cannot find any family nor friends, anyone that knows this woman. And I cannot imagine how it felt to be sitting in your house dying. And there is no one to call. I can't imagine how despondent that feeling must be we need our friends and our friends need us and I hope nobody ever forgets that statement you may not need your friends right now but they may need you right now and there'll come a time when you need them right now and I hope they don't think that you need them right now we need friends. If you log on to the internet and Google need friends, in about two-tenths of a second, there will be about 353 million search results. 
If you Google want friends in less than about two-tenths of a second, there will be about 330 million search results. People are lonely today. People are looking for true friends. This world needs real friends. Even in the church, we need friends. Sometimes, even in the shelter of the church, it can be very lonely for some. Somebody told me just recently that uh, talked about someone going to a different church, a different denomination, and what have you, and said, when I go to church every Sunday, I've just quit going. I just stay at home and watch on live stream. It doesn't do me any good to go because when I go, I'm there alone. No one sits by me. Nobody talks to me. What have you. I have something to say to that as well uh, because I know this person. But it's a tragedy that you can be in the church, at church, and still feel so alone. Now, let me go down my little rabbit hole, and we'll come back out real quick. We all know the verse, but we fail to remember it sometimes. If you want friends, if you want friends, you need to show yourself friendly. Now, you say, well, I speak to people. I want to tell you, there's, there's people who can put off body language. Have you ever noticed that? When you, when you walk in church and you see so-and-so sitting up here in a chair somewhere and they've got their arms closed and their head down and maybe their eyes are closed, you don't know if they're praying or sleeping or whatever. Uh, they got their arms folded. Uh, they're kind of wadded up in a knot. They put off this vibe that says, don't bother me. And t- oftentimes those are the people that says, nobody speaks to me. Well, you've got everything around you but a billboard that says, don't talk to me. If you want friends... If you want somebody to talk to you, you have to get up and go talk to somebody else. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised at how oftentimes that person will reciprocate your feeling. And they enjoy talking to you unless, if you just be normal in your conversation, they they will enjoy talking to you. Uh, Did you know that we apostolics are one of the greatest groups at showing ourselves friendly and entertaining people. But when it comes to one-on-one true friendships, we fall short as apostolic people. We're friendly at church, but then you never hear from anybody during the week. And that, that happens to a lot of people. And again, if you want friends, don't just sit at home and wait for everybody in the church to call you. If you want friends and want to have a good conversation, call somebody. And oftentimes, they, they'll, they'll receive the call and or leave a voicemail and they'll call you back. And I've asked people uh, before, people have complained about it, and they said, well, I called so-and-so and and they didn't answer, and I called so-and-so and and I didn't answer. Well, did you leave them a voicemail to call you back? No, I didn't want to bother. Well, what do you want people to do? You know, we don't always have ESPN, you know, where we can read people's minds, and it's not what ESPN stands for, but you get the point. Um, We we have to put ourselves out just a little bit. And I'll tell everybody here tonight, if every friendship don't work out, Some friendships may be temporary, and I've talked about that. I've had ministerial friendships that were amazing, but they were only only for a space of time, and they went away. Uh, I understand that. But you have to put yourself out there. This is why I I keep applauding our connect group leaders. They put themselves out there. And most of our connect group leaders, the activities they're doing, especially with our ladies, they're doing it at their house. They've opened their house to sometimes in excess of 20 people uh, to come to their house and they have to do all this cleanup and set up and then when everybody leaves they have to put everything back where it was and all that. 
people are putting themselves out there to show themselves friendly and you're welcome to be there. And they're great hosts and hostesses and they're doing a great job and I applaud these people for that. So when we see one another at church for an hour or two a week, that's good. But friendships and relationships go far beyond that. There has to be interaction during the week and it, it, it excites me to this day. We've been here, we're in our 29th year here as pastor and it still excites me. When I hear somebody say, well, so-and-so and I had lunch the other day, and when they walk away, Sister Murphy and I, we do this often. I'm like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see those two people going and have lunch together. Whatever. And we get excited about it, that people are reaching out to each other, and I think it's a wonderful thing. So only seeing each other at church and not pursuing each other for you know dinner, friends, friendships later, um, it would be beneficial to people. Church should never be that way. I believe our closest friends should be in the church. For what fellowship hath light and darkness? If your best friend is not in the church, then what, what do you have in common with that person that's not in church? It's something to think about. Maybe your relationship with God might need to be brushed up a little bit. <clears throat> Jesus was somebody who not only showed himself friendly, but he also had a number of very close friends. Yes, he did. At least according to my count, and some of you may differ and find something else, and that's fine. But I read in the, Old, or the New Testament where Jesus had at least six very close friends. People he depended on, people he, he counted on. John 11 verse 5 states very clearly, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, which was Mary, and Lazarus. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were all very close friends of Jesus. When Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem, he would often stay at the home of this family. They lived in Bethany, which was only a couple of miles from Jerusalem. When Jesus wanted to escape the crowds and, and sneak out of town for a little while, he would go to their house in Bethany. Uh, this was his retreat where he relaxed and renewed himself from the pressures of ministry and, and all of that. This family grew very close to Jesus, and it was Lazarus, their brother, who Jesus raised from the dead that we all know. On one occasion, Jesus stopped by, and Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, and Martha tending to the things of the house. You know the story. Martha was upset at Mary, at Mary because she wasn't helping, but listen to what the Scripture said in Luke chapter 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus rebuked Martha because she was interfering with what the Bible called a needful thing. Jesus called it a good part. What was he referring to? Jesus was referring to their close friendship. Mary needed it, and at the time, Jesus needed it. We need friends. We need friends. Yes, we do. Jesus had three, very, uh, uh, three other very close friends. Peter, James, and John. They were his disciples, but they were also his very close friends. It was these three that Jesus pulled close to himself when the going got really tough. It was these three that went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. On the mountain, they saw the cloud that overshadowed Jesus, and they saw his face shining like bright, bright as the sun and saw him talking with Moses and Elijah. This was a special time for Jesus. Don't think that Jesus went up to that mountain without knowing what was about to happen. And it was very kind and generous with him to share this moment 
with three of the closest friends he had so they could witness that moment. How would it feel to call your friend and say, you know what, I just have a real good feeling about a prayer meeting. Why don't you come with me? I'll pray. You can just sit there and watch. That would be a, that'd be a pretty cool thing right there. Jesus even confided in these three men after that experience of the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 9, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. He confided in his friends. And as far as I know, they did not break that confidentiality. They kept that close to their heart. So if Jesus needed friends, how much more do we need friends? I could talk all night about the great friendship that Jesus had with these three and, and many special times. I don't have the time to get into all of it, but for our purpose, let's suffice it to say that Jesus needed friends and then we also need friends. If Jesus needed to be able to share a few secrets with some trusted friends, then we also need to be able to do that. There's people here tonight that I've confided in. People that I feel like is a friend to me. There are special times and places in every person's life that need to be shared with special people. It's a needed thing. And I find oftentimes, don't you listen to what I'm about to say. I find oftentimes that sometimes people get so burdened and bottled up with stuff that sometimes they just need a friend to vent to. And then on the other hand, there's times that people experience so much excitement in their life and things are happening and they can't wait. They, we just signed a purchase agreement on our dream home and we just bought this brand new car and you know, I just got this amazing pay raise. All these things people need to be, have. they need to have friends around them to share these things with, friends that will not betray them. Friends that will not look down their nose at them and criticize them and judge them and what have you. But I want to say this in passing tonight, and I've noticed it out of a, a handful of people. And uh, uh, some of them may or may not be here tonight. But I want to tell you one of the most irritating things on the planet in a friendship. Is when you have something really important to you that you want to say something that's just happened in your life. Something that's just happened to your family, good or bad. Somebody just died or a baby was just born or whatever it is. It's great, great news or it's bad, bad news. And you tell them, your friend that, and they just sit there and stare at you. If you look closely in their eye, their mind is spinning saying, how can I top that story? How can I tell a more tragic story than that one? And how can I tell a more exciting story than that one? I can pick up on it pretty quick in a conversation with people, and they'll shut me down in a heartbeat. And I just don't really have anything else to say in, in that meeting anymore. I want to encourage everybody tonight. Everybody listen to Pastor. If you want to establish a friendship, you're not competing with them for tragic events, and amazing stories. We're not here to see who can top each other's story. Y'all have ever heard of a story topper? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They are as aggravating as an ingrown toenail. Sometimes I'd rather have an ingrown toenail. Or have a bad toothache. Y'all feel me? Do I need to illustrate that point some more? I can. 
Um, Sister Murphy and I have reached a point where there are certain people that we don't tell stories anymore. We don't tell events, personal events anymore because they will sit there and calculate and some of the things we've been told back, I think they just made it up on the fly. I have been with people and they, they, uh, there's a person I'm not, I can't get too personal. See, this is a problem with growing up here. If we pastored in Montana, I could tell these stories as free as a breeze outside. But if I talk too much, y'all gonna figure out who I'm talking about and it's just not fair sometimes. <clears throat> but somebody told a story one night and this person didn't say a word. You didn't get a uh-huh and oh my, or my goodness, or that's wonderful, nothing, complete silence. And looking back in retrospect, Sister Murphy and I figured out this person is thinking hard. While this person is going through about a 10, 15 minute story, this person is thinking, surely I can top that. Surely I can tell a more sensational story. And they did. Buddy, they came up with a story. It was unbelievable. And Sister Murph and I came to a conclusion, and we even checked on the validity of that story with other people who were around at that time about this thing that this person said happened, and nobody could verify what happened. So that just tells me they made that up just so they could exceed that story. Um, <clears throat> if you want to keep people close to you, don't be so much into your story as much as you are theirs. Remember that, and uh, you need to go home and look in the mirror if you're having trouble with friendships and ask yourself, am I a story topper? And if you're honest with yourself, you'll get the answer to that question. <clears throat> so there are special times and places in every person's life, and Jesus illustrated that on the Mount of Transfiguration, that sometimes you need to tell people something and have them understand it, have them relate to it. If you're hearing the story, you, you need to portray to them, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And I'm not going to sit here and try to tear your story down by telling you something more, sensa something more sensational that happened to me. Don't do that. Who was it the other day? Uh, said that somebody hadn't been coming here to church here long enough to hear pastors say, keep your dumb mouth shut. Uh, but that's when you need to keep your dumb mouth shut. Listen. Listen to what that person is saying. Don't try to, I'm, I'm going to belabor the point a little bit. I want you to remember it. If you want friends, just hear them and listen to them and express interest in their story, not counter it right back with, oh, well, let me tell you what happened to me. <clears throat> They're not interested in what happened to you at this point. They're trying to tell you what happened to them, and you need to be interested in that. Y'all feel me? I keep going because I, I, I have to be careful when and where I can mention this subject. And tonight's a good night. <laughs> Y'all got the point. We'll move on. Uh, so not only do we need friends, but we must show ourselves friendly as we mentioned at the beginning. Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. We, we all have close friends, yet beyond these friends, we must show ourselves friendly to everybody. When you're friendly and you have an established group of friends and you quit speaking to other people, you call you and your friends a click. And we don't do clicks at Grace Church. 
Just because all of your friends and family are coming here doesn't zero out everyone else. And there's a lot of people that could use your friendship, your kindness, your interest, your concern than just the people immediately around you. As the person said three weeks ago, I'm going to tell you who it is. It's Brandy. Brandy Patrick sitting over here. She said, I, I think I found a friend. That, is, that touched me. It ministered to me. The person she's referring to is Hannah Lewis. They've been coming to church here a long time, but a flat tire got them together. Is that okay if I tell that story? Got permission now that it's done. <laughs> Ask for forgiveness. Uh, I didn't want to speak out of turn. But it just, it, it touched my heart that they've, they've come to church now for together a long time, but now their paths finally cross. And I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, Jesus was a great example of this. Remember he ate with publicans? You remember Zacchaeus? Jesus had a group of friends around him. He had at least six very close friends. Why would he want to fool with Zacchaeus? He was a publican. He was a sinner. And he was judged horribly for going to his house. But Jesus showed himself friendly. He ate with sinners on a regular basis. He communed with Gentiles. He fellowshiped with harlots. He befriended lepers. Anybody that society would have looked down on, Jesus befriended it wasn't just the down and out either. He also befriended Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Both were very wealthy and also members of the very prestigious Sanhedrin council. He wasn't just into poor people. He was into rich people. It didn't matter. He was into people. It didn't matter their status. It didn't matter their occupation. It didn't matter what their bank account was. Speaking of bank accounts, I saw a marquee today, and I have to mention it right here, that said, whoever prayed for rain, please pray for my bank account. I thought that was, that was nice right there. But Jesus was friendly with everybody. In fact, Jesus was buried in the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea. Are you good enough friends with somebody to let them borrow your grave plot? About let them have it. Uh, something to think about. Jesus also befriended a centurion of the Roman army. People that Jews hated. Jesus befriended these people. These were not close friends, yet Jesus was a friend to everybody. And because of his friendship, he was able to affect all of these men and women for the sake of the gospel. And you, you might call this, in today's lingo, you call that networking. Yet Jesus loved each and every one of them. And wherever Jesus went, he showed himself friendly. Wherever you go, whoever you talk to, grocery store, gas station, dry cleaners, mailman, garbage man, co-workers, neighbors, we need to be friendly. As apostolic people, we need to be friendly. That is the only way that we're going to win our community for Jesus. So I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like him, don't you? So we need friendship for assistance and strength. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And if they fail, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up illustrates the point I'm making tonight beautifully. So who's going to be there when you fall? Who's going to be there when you're sick? Who is going to be there when you are broke? Only your friends and family will be there and probably only your closest friends. We, we need friendship for counsel. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart and so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. How many have found that to be true? Hearty counsel from the heart. People don't always tell you what 
you want to hear, but they will tell you what you need to hear because they care about you. It is only your closest friends that will tell you what they really think. It may not always be wise counsel. may not always be what you want to hear, but it will be from the heart. And it will be with love because they care. There is some, something special about receiving counsel from somebody you have, you have a trusted relationship with. I've enjoyed that here at Grace Church. It's not always been great. It's not always been amazing. But nonetheless, it was wise counsel. It was because they cared. We need friendship for both personal and spiritual growth. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Um, you've heard this before. You are who you hang out with. You've also heard this, guilty by association. If you happen to be with somebody who is committing a crime, chances are you'll be charged with it as well, even if you feel like you are not involved. Whether you believe it is right or not, people judge you according to who you associate with. I don't want to use judge in a critical, sarcastic, mean uh, way, but it, it, it affects, it impacts people around you when you're establishing friendships with people that's not appropriate, that's not healthy. And then you wonder why people don't, they just are awkward around you. You, you are associating with people that, well, remember the sermon that Brother Greg here preached. It was an amazing sermon when he showed the picture of the horse and the mule, the ox and the mule. Uh, when you hang out with mules, when you hang out with donkeys, I don't know what to say. This makes it hard when you try to understand it all. So whether you believe it's right or not, people judge you according to who you associate with. This works both ways. It works in a negative manner, but it also works in a positive manner. This is why you want to choose your friends wisely. Solomon said, iron, iron sharpens iron, and so doth a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. So let me, let me hurry on uh, to get to the conclusion of this. Let's talk about the universal law of attraction. This law states that we attract it states that we attract what we think about. So if we focus on the failures and problems that life brings, then that's what we will attract. If we focus on prosperity and health, then that's what we attract. That is what the Old Testament prophet Micah did, and he stopped focusing on all the pain and wrong in his world, and he was able to succeed. It stands to reason, then, if we attract, if we attract situations based on our thinking, then we also attract people who think like us. Such a true statement. This works both ways. If we maintain unhealthy, toxic relationships, we will start suffering from low self-esteem. This leads into destructive thoughts and then actions until finally that person's ability to succeed is gone. If we change our thought process like Micah did, it will lead us to healthy and lasting relationships. If you start surrounding yourself with people who are loving, positive, and successful, then your ability to succeed dramatically increases. The Bible said to be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. So be careful of who your friends are. Be careful of, who, of what you talk about and, and who you talk about and how you talk about them. Are you going to fly with eagles? Or are you going to scurry through the brush with turkeys? Iron sharpens iron. We become who our friends are. It is like those dogs that end up looking like their owners. Or is it the owner's? That look like they're dogs. I don't know. I just know it's true. We need to surround ourselves with people 
that help us succeed on a personal level and a spiritual level. A little, a little earlier I stated that apostolics have a hard time making close friends. I want to close by talking about this tonight. As apostolics, we have, a, we have to differentiate between having, being a friend to the world and having a friend of the world. First of all, you need to understand that we are not of this world. John said that in his epistles. You are of God, little children. You've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the friend. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Like the song that says, this world is not my own. It's not my home. I'm just passing through. This doesn't mean that we cannot be friends to this world. We're not of this world, yet we are the light of the world. And you know what Matthew 5 says when Jesus said, you're the light of the world. In order to let our light shine and for men to see our good works, we have to show ourselves friendly to the world. We are called and chosen to be a friend to the world and yet not of the world. Being a friend to the world does not mean we go and party with them. does not mean that we go and sin with them. But like Jesus did, it does mean that we sit down in their house and eat dinner with them. We need to be their friends. That means we cannot offend them. That might, they might not be your closest and most intimate friends, but you can be close friends uh, with those who are sinners who trust and respect you. How else would you win them? So we have to stop being scared of the world, scared of this world. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Jesus threw the entire religious community into an uproar when he sat down and ate with publicans and sinners. He changed them. They didn't change him. Yet his only motivation was to call them to repentance. So how can we win our world unless we go into the world and pull the sinners off the streets? And I, I've heard it said all of my life. Well, I'm just trying to win this person. So yeah, I'll go to the bar with them and I'll go here with them and I'll go there with them and all that. What usually happens is a person trying to win them becomes like that person. <clears throat> you, you have to draw lines and parameters and what have you. Jesus was never timid about these things, how uh, we should act, and we should act the same way he acted. On one occasion, Paul had to correct himself on this subject. This is important in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must we needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called, if any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with with such and one not to eat with. So Paul was saying, I know I wrote to you about not associating with fornicators. But I wasn't talking about the fornicators of this world. Look at it. That is what it says of this world. Listen to pastor tonight. There's even church people sometimes it's not healthy for you to hang out with. There's people that still attend church, but they're going the opposite direction of the church. They'll lead you down that path if you're not careful. And that's what Paul is saying. If it's somebody out in the world wanting to come to Jesus, hang out with them and bring them to Jesus. But if someone that's here with Jesus wanting to leave Jesus, leave them alone. They'll take you there with them. So I'm, 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 I've got to wrap this up. I'm not done, but I'll wrap it up. Paul was bottom line saying, uh, bring sinners 
to Jesus. But if they're in church backsliding, pray for them and, and try to help them, but don't go that way with them. He was not talking about the unbelievers. In other words, don't associate with hypocrites, people that profess to be one thing, but really they're not. What Paul was saying in this writing was, if you want to affect a sinner, if you want to change the heart of a fornicator, if you want to change the thinking of a cheater, if you want to see souls added to the kingdom, then you need to be their friend. If you want to win somebody to Christ, we have to be their friend. If we want to affect people, we have to be friendly. Um, I think we need to pay attention to who our kids are hanging out with. If you're trying to win them to God and they're coached heavily, then fine. But if there's people that's having more influence in the life of our kids than we are, you need to stop that as parents. We don't sacrifice our kids in the name of some cause we're trying to herald and build some kind of a banner over. We need to be friendly people. So connect group people, keep working it, keep going after it, doing, doing what you can. It don't matter if you have one or if you have 50. Work people, be friendly, be kind, be appropriate, and let God work through you as you are being friendly to others. Hope this was a blessing. Hope you take it to heart. Hope you practice it. God bless you tonight. We'll look forward to seeing you. When's our next service? Um, nobody knows? Sunday? Hey, y'all have me nervous there for a second. Or were y'all waiting on me to say it? God bless you. You're dismissed tonight. We'll see you Sunday morning. Cole.